When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Guten Tag, willkommen zum Pod on the Tyne. Ich heiße Taylor Payne. And, right, that's enough of that. I've had enough of that already, Chris. I'm not doing that for the rest of the day. Uh, hello from Germany, where I am, and so is Chris Woff. Hello, Chris. Are you all right? I'm all right. How are you? Uh, yes, I'm not too bad. I've come across from Dortmund to share the morning in this room with you. Uh, you have a connected balcony with the room next door. There have been topless men walking past. I'm not going to ask any questions. I told, I told them to be out of here by now. <laughs> They've shown me right up, haven't they? They very much have. Uh, we've got some. I've got Newcastle fans staying either side of me, and the connecting balcony is literally runs across three rooms. So they were just they were just walking back and forth this morning in in very little clothing. I must add, uh, George, you're there. Hello, George, back in Blighty as well. How are you? Hello, Dortmund. This is London calling. This is London calling. I'm yes. I'm insanely jealous of you two both being over there. I have to say, and um, yeah, I'm disappointed but not disheartened after last night. I think, but. Um, yeah, I've, um, I'm feeling a craving, that, that horrible sense of not being there at the moment. Fear of missing out, FOMO, I believe the uh, the youngsters call it these days. That is exactly what I've got. So come on, tell us tell us all about it. Make, make me even more jealous. How's it been over the last couple of days? It's been intense, I think is the word I would use to describe it. It's been pretty intense. The travelling was a lot. Um, the, 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 the old town in Dusseldorf when we arrived on Monday night was a lot. There was a lot going on. There was a lot of Geordies. There was a lot of beer. There was a lot of sausage. It was just really intense. Everyone was singing and stuff. Um, but the Germans have been brilliant. They've, they've really welcomed us, you know, and it's, the atmosphere has been fantastic everywhere we've went. Uh, especially in Dortmund in the marketplace yesterday. It's, it was unreal. And, and then the match was just, just ridiculous. I mean, I have to say, after just just looking at Chris on on my screen here, after two hours in Germany, he now just does look like a raw sausage with eyes. I'm not sure if that's because he's not had quite enough sleep. But come on, then, Chris, what what's it been like the last couple of days? It's, this has been your debut in the Champions League for an away match. How's how's it been? How have you found it? It's been an absolutely wonderful experience. I'd compare it to the Wembley weekend in many ways. That it felt like a, a seminal moment. For for a lot of people connected with Newcastle United to come to Dortmund, a ground which is historic in Europe, and the number of fans who've descended on this area, they're in Dortmund, they're in Dusseldorf, they're in Essen, they're everywhere around here. And just to gather yesterday was wonderful. But going to the stadium for the first time on Monday for the press conference, it's like, this feels big. This feels like a European giant. The auditorium that the press conference was in, everything around it, the stadium itself, 
the club. Yeah, it's been absolutely brilliant. And the 90 minutes of the match was probably the worst of it, just like Wembley. But beyond that, I think it's been an absolutely fantastic trip. And hopefully Newcastle will be back here very soon as well. Yeah, I think that perspective is really good. And we'll come on to talk about that and Eddie Howe's two years, whose anniversary we're celebrating right now. But you've um, you've both recorded a bit of audio, haven't you, from the last, yeah. from the last couple of days. So should we have a listen? Yeah, why not? Well, here I am standing next to the main church in Dortmund. It's been a fairly seamless trip, other than the fact that when I initially got a train from Dusseldorf to Dortmund, uh, I was with some colleagues from other newspapers who shall remain nameless, but they said, let's get on this train. I said, I think that might be a fast train. I might get charged more. No, no, you'll be fine. So we got on it, and it was an ICE train, uh, train, an ICE train, and... We got nearly here, one stop before we meant to get to Dortmund, and then we were told we are going to be fined €100 Euros each if we did not get off. So we had to get off at Bochum and then make our own way here. But yeah, it could have been a lot worse than that. I then checked in my hotel, which is very, how should I put it, it's quite bohemian, which you can imagine is very, very me. But um, I am just stood in the main square, as I said before. I have been on the hunt for a sausage, and it did. It was more difficult than I thought it was going to be. I was very disappointed the diverse villi, the little uh, hut thing in this square was shut, but I managed to find Bonn and Fretches, I think you'd say it, and I now I'm just about to take a first bite of my first sausage in Germany. <laughs> mm, now that's the taste of deliciousness there. So yes, I am here at the moment. I will then be heading down to Eddie Howe's press conference later on. I think we are hearing from Fabian Scher as well, certainly a Newcastle player at the stadium tonight before the game tomorrow. So I will provide another update at that stage and hopefully I'm going to bump into our very own Taylor Payne at some stage tomorrow. Auf Wiedersehen. Well, it is seven minutes past seven German time. I'm stood in the back of the stand at the Signal Iduna Park. It is empty, but looks absolutely glorious. The floodlights are on. We have just heard from Eddie Howe and Fabian Scher at the pre-match press conference. Eddie Howe would not bite when pushed further about Mikael Arteta. Fabian Scher was talking about how this was the most enjoyable time in his career, having the club he loves now that he's grown to love and that he finds it fantastic being here and that really wants to give back to the city and club which which have helped him move on from the difficult times he had under Steve Bruce now for Eddie Howe the main questions were surrounding really the team he's going to put out what team can he actually play because of the 23 man senior Champions League squad he only has 16 of those available three of those are goalkeepers he's already admitted that he's brought some youngsters across hasn't said who they are but it's going to be a very makeshift bench Dan Byrne unfortunately is going to be out for two months the back injury is sustained Matt Target looks to be at least three months out and so the injuries and long-term injuries really are piling up but in terms of this little travelogue what I wanted to say is that I arrived here and I was very distressed to find out that actually although the Athletic have paid for my flight across paid for my hotel sorted all that out 
they have actually applied for George Culkin to be at Signal at Duna Park. So I have accreditation under the name of George Culkin. I have never been so offended in my entire life. For a start, I mean, I do not turn up to matches with a heated jacket or heated socks. I am not a flat earther like uh, George Culkin. I am also not absolutely ancient, so it's going to be very difficult for me to get through the next couple of days pretending to be him. But still, I'm in Dortmund. I'm ready for absolutely huge occasion here tomorrow evening. There are thousands and thousands of Geordies, and it's going to be a very exciting time. It is 4.21pm on Tuesday. Yes, very precise, Taylor. And uh, yes, as you can hear, I've been joined on my travelogue by our very own Taylor Payne. We are walking through a leafy sort of a little strip here up to the Signal Iduna Park, as I believe it is now called, the Westfallen Stadion, ahead of Newcastle United against Borussia Dortmund. How the devil are you, Taylor Payne? I'm going to do it to you. Don't be stealing my catchphrase, young man. I am very good, yeah, I'm excellent. I've had a lovely couple of days, ate most of my body weight in pork, (laughs) had a few beers and it's been great fun. But um, it's all starting to feel a bit real now, this, isn't it? This is all starting to feel a little bit real. Yes, there's only two and a half hours or so until kickoff here in Dortmund. Absolutely huge evening for Newcastle United. We've been at the, the main square, uh, listening to a lot of Newcastle fans drink, eat, and sing and be merry, uh, and in that order. Yes, very much so. And um, I think we'll just sign off here because Ollie's already getting annoyed at me for how long this travelogue is by each of us just giving a bit of a score prediction. Now I think. Newcastle United can and will get a draw. So I'm going to go for a score draw, 1-1, which should make this group, the last two matches, very, very tasty. What about you, Taylor? I think we could sneak a 2-1 win, Christopher. I think we could. And as I say that, the signal of Duna Park hoves into view, doesn't it? And I see it for the first time, and fuck me, it's big, isn't it? It's a big old ground, this, and it's a big, big, big night for Newcastle United. Fingers crossed it's the result that Newcastle United fans want come the end. Uh, Auf Wiedersehen for now from Germany, and we shall catch up later on. Such a tough group, these two teams locked on four points apiece behind the leaders Paris Saint-Germain. Newcastle here amid an injury crisis. And the A.N.A. beaten away again by Pope, who's had to pull off a couple of saves in the last minute or two. Chance here, Trippier, right across the face of goal, Dorman. Pretty unsure for a moment. Savitsa here with a hint of an opportunity. Fulgroup! Puts Dortmund ahead! A hammer blow for Newcastle United as the German international Niklas Fulgroup gets his first Champions League goal. Reich. 
Libramento, Joelinton, what a chance! And how did he not pull that in? Trippier to play it in, it was one of his better ones. And the Yaney can clear, they've got a two against one here, only Libramento back defending. Brandt, he's got Sarvisa with him, Brandt goes alone and finishes 2-0 to Dortmund. Newcastle United stripped bare on the counter. Well, we said that was always going to be the problem. They had to go for it. And 75 minutes, they did. They've thrown bodies forward on a set play and they've got caught. So there we go, Chris. Oh, it's all bringing back, bringing back all the memories, isn't it? Still, the taste of so- sausage still fresh on the tonsils. <laughs> it certainly does, yeah. The the smell of urine in the air as well, yeah, but uh, and, and beer. But no, it was. I mean, it was a great atmosphere. There wasn't really any trouble that that I've heard of um, from the match. It just felt like a great environment to have everyone in that square. Uh, everyone was pleased to be there. There was Newcastle yeah. and Dortmund fans yeah. mixing. And listening back to that package, though, I sort of got flashbacks to when we got off the tram and are walking up to the stadium, and the possibility seemed lenders at that stage. It was all laid out in front of us, wasn't it? But it just didn't work out. I have to say, from a personal point of view, coming to coming to Dortmund and, and going to that ground and watching a game in that ground was always on the football bucket list for me. It was one yeah. that I always wanted to do and never got the chance. And I've been to Germany to watch football a few times, but the dates just never lined up with Dortmund playing at home. But to be able to go there and watch Newcastle United play in the Champions League was an absolute privilege and it felt like an honour to be there. I was in the home end. It was quite scary at times, um, but it was brilliant. It was great fun. The, the, the guy sitting next to me straight away went, English? I went, yeah. He went, good. <laughs> oh, shit. What does that mean? <laughs> but it was it was astonishing. I do think that is the point in the minute, is that that's what Newcastle are doing with every game. We're playing bucket list games against bucket list opponents in bucket list yeah. stadiums. And quite soon, if things go the way we expect them to and we hope them to, they it won't be like that anymore. It'll start feeling routine or it'll start feeling a bit normal. But at the moment, it's just astonishing. I mean, I was just watching on the telly, telly last night, as I said, full of jealousy. I'd made myself some schnitzel. And I, I got a bit Jacob Whitehead. I had a non-alcoholic beer with it to try and sort of feel part of it. But just watching it on the television, it just looked absolutely astonishing. And you're taking a step back and it's there's Fabian Scher in the Champions League, someone who was put up at pre-match press conference talking about how he'd been out of the team a couple of years ago. Yeah, I still think it's okay. We're allowed to have these like pinch yourself feelings about what Newcastle are doing at the minute. The game didn't go the way we wanted it to last night, but you know these occasions, these matches, these experiences—they're so, so very, very precious. And one thing I know for certain is that the coaching staff and the players will learn from it and grow from it. And I know it's a cliche, and everyone talks about the yellow wall, but forty minutes before kickoff, the yellow wall was full. It was bouncing. It was singing, and and. The atmosphere just built from there, and what a stadium! What what an arena! And you do. There's been a lot of comparisons between Newcastle fans and Dortmund fans, and I think if you felt that yesterday, and there feel there seemed to be that sort of mutual recognition about the sort of relationship there is between the team and the fans, and how they feed off one another. And yeah, 
just as I said before, I hope Newcastle come back here very soon because I think they could and should be able to show more of themselves on the pitch in future when they've got a full-strength team, as we're going to come on to in a second. Absolutely. Uh, a fabulous trip, but not a fabulous result, let's be honest. 2-0, another Dortmund nullification and a disappointing night for Eddie's men, wasn't it? Let's be honest, George. Again, disappointing, but not disheartening, I think. I mean, you do have to just look at the the team and when you go through the people, the players who are missing from from Botman to Byrne to Isak to the players that Howe felt he had to put on the bench last night in order to give them a chance of changing the game. Newcastle, you know, started that match without half of their, what you would call, regular first eleven. I think, for the Champions League. Tonali, of course, missing. And so there has to be context and there has to be mitigation. I do think it followed a bit of a similar pattern to the, to the last game, the home game against Dortmund, in that Dortmund were just better at taking their chances, better at making the big moments count. And were more clinical, and Newcastle made made errors, and I and paid for those errors either in terms of conceding goals or in not taking not taking their chances. So it is disappointing. You see it on Eddie Howe's face afterwards. There is he looks every time Newcastle lose, he looks disappointed and crestfallen. Fallen. He says he doesn't feel like Newcastle lived up to their own standards. But my God, there's you know there is some mitigation for that. There is. So disappointing, but yeah, afterwards, take a breath, understand where the team are and understand where the club are and it should not be dis- disheartening by any stretch. I'm not sure if there's many teams in football who could go to that ground and play that team with that many of their first choice players missing and, and, and still be able to get a result. I mean, I, I think it's such an unfortunate situation that we found ourselves in with so many players out. It's, it's just one of those, isn't it? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Our first half hour or so, Chris, had belonged to the home side, didn't it? Their goal was a bit, was a bit scruffy, but it was probably a fair reflection of their early dominance. I agree with George, and I think in many ways it reflected the home game against Dortmund, but I also think it reflected the first half against AC Milan, only Dortmund managed to score and AC Milan didn't. Not in terms of the absolute barrage of efforts, but Newcastle seemed a bit uh, pensive. They didn't seem their usual front foot selves, yeah. and whether that was deliberate or whether... And, and, and anyhow set them up that way to try and stay in the game and then bring on the likes of Anthony Gordon and Miguel Almer on the second half or whether the players just were a bit tentative in that sort of environment I'm not entirely sure but that just felt like it didn't feel like Newcastle in the first half and the team selection when the team came out an hour before an hour and 15 minutes before and I don't think any of us expected the team that was announced the fact that Lewis Hall did start at left back that Tino Livramento started as a right-sided forward 
And that just and also Joe Willock was also in the team and, and I think that that shows how stretched Newcastle are. Yeah. Eddie Howe said afterwards he basically had to protect Anthony Gordon and Miguel Almiron because Anthony Gordon played ninety minutes against Arsenal and, and run himself in the ground. Miguel Almiron had come on after just five minutes against Man United when he wasn't meant to play that much and play the rest of that match. Yeah. And he can't keep flogging these players because if he loses those two, then what happens next? Yeah. You've got to bear in mind that on Saturday at Bournemouth, Newcastle go there potentially without up to 11 first-team players. Now, that is a heck of a, a, a stretch squad. They, only, they could only have 16 of the 23-man senior Champions League squad in the in the in the squad itself, three of them are goalkeepers, and yeah, the first half I just didn't think Newcastle got going. Or oh, actually, the goal that Dortmund scored woke them up. Dortmund had been finding gaps in between the defence and midfield, and the defending for the first goal wasn't great. Share gets caught up, mid, uh, up in midfield, doesn't really get back. Jamal Lascelles is nowhere to be seen really either. Dragged out of position, and Dortmund thoroughly deserved that lead when they took it. They did, and like you say, but it did it did spark Newcastle into life a little bit. They found their feet a little bit. A neat corner opened things up for Trippier, but he didn't spot Wilson's run, did he, George? Otherwise, it would have been a tap-in, and that would have been 1-1. Those moments for Wilson were incredibly rare. As Chris has written this morning on The Athletic, Wilson had four touches before he came off at half-time. None were in the box, and that tells its own story about wow. how isolated he was and how Newcastle struggled to get to get up the pitch. They just didn't do it. I mean, I felt a, you know that was his first start in the Champions League, and it was a bit of a salutary experience. I mean, just, just going back to the point that Chris made, obviously... Matt Ritchie and Emil Kraft weren't on the bench. They're not in Newcastle's Champions League squad. I mean, that's just so unfortunate because both of them would have had a good chance of playing or playing some part part last night. Kraft, you know, obviously magnificent at Old Trafford last last week. And that's just Newcastle falling victim to their own disappointment. What are you both laughing at? I know you're in the same room. And I'm gonna. If I see you sharing little looks like that, I'm gonna pull you up on it. Chris moved, and it sounded like he made a fart. But he didn't. It was just. Oh, it does. It, it was does. Just yeah. His foot on his okay. Chair. Well, I just want to. You know. You know. I'm, I don't want to get all teachery, but I can see you both together. Right, we'll try. We'll try and rein it in. It's fine. Okay, that's okay, Mister Mister Corkin. Sorry, Mister Corkin. We're not used to being this close when we record. We've we've all gone a bit giddy and silly suddenly. So, so you're doing laughing at fart noises. Well, that's very big and that's very clever. Um, and I can't remember what I was saying. So let's just move on to the next bit. <laughs> Uh, it was 1-0 at half-time then, Chris, wasn't it? Uh, Eddie Howe introduced uh, Anthony Gordon and Miguel Amaron for Wilson, like we said. A uh, bit of a tight hamstring for him. And, and uh, Hall went off as well. Lewis Hall went off. Unfortunate to get a yellow card, do you think, in the first half? Kind of stunted him a little bit, didn't it? Again, I think this is one of those entries into the running order which has been put in by Ollie, our producer, mainly because Jacob Whitehead yeah. was adamant that it was a yellow card and Ollie isn't it? Well, exactly, yeah, who, who is he? Uh, wasn't, yeah. wasn't as sure that... Well, he was meant to be on this recording, hasn't turned up either. But um, Ollie wasn't as sure. It probably was just about a yellow card in terms of Dortmund might have got, might have got through uh, on goal. Dortmund themselves probably should have had a few bookings throughout the match, but, th- but they didn't arrive. Anyway, that... that I thought Hall very early on actually did all right. There was a couple of times he sort of chaperoned the ball out when Nicholas Sula mm-hmm. was coming close to him. But the yellow card, I think maybe he became nervous after that and he didn't quite know whether to stick or twist. Um, and then he comes off uh, in that environment. They break, they're shifted around. Kieran Trippier goes to left back. Yeah. Tino Livermento goes to right back. Although later on the two of them shifted Switched as well and Liver- Livermento went to left back. And... Uh, and Trippier goes to right back. Uh, Eddie Howe, uh, just to, uh, sorry, on a completely separate note, just so you know, I have pissed off Eddie Howe again in Good. terms of my questioning. Uh, I did say to him, 
<laughs> last night. I did ask him about Trippier and whether he was injured because he seemed to be pointing to his thigh and he said no he's just had a dead leg at the weekend he's just taking a bit of time to come off and I said oh but you you, you seem to switch him and Livermento uh, around quite a few times uh, did, what was the thing behind that and he started answering his questions that I didn't do it quite a few times they just switch, they switched once so he, he, he had to correct that that exact point regarding that but yeah I thought Newcastle looked better in the second half and whether that was directly to do with the changes or whether that was because Dortmund sat off them a little bit, whether it was because they decided to be more front foot. I think it was a combination of all of them. Yeah. And as the first, as the second half was wearing on, I thought Newcastle were really coming into the game. Yeah, OK. At, at, at this point, Chris, I think, I, think, I think I would love us to all listen to Eddie Howe treating you with absolute disdain. You kept changing him and Tino Livermento around. Was was that tactical? Was was that to try and find something else in the game? Because Tino, it was said Tino seemed to be the best player on the pitch for you. Yeah, I think uh, we didn't keep changing them around. I think they changed. So we started the second half with Kieran on the left and then Tino on the right, and then we swapped them over. But I thought Tino did well in both positions. And I think I've said before, Kieran's such an important player for us. His range of passing on that right foot is such a valuable weapon that. Um, we're just looking for a solution on the day, really, to try and perform better. Yeah, perfect, perfect from Eddie. There, he's he knows how to treat you. I need to, I need to get a bit more Eddie in my life. I need, yeah, that's that's really good. We now know that Chris is back, irritating the Newcastle United manager with his um, mundane, ridiculous questions. I just wanted to say on Hall, I do feel, I do feel very sorry for him. Obviously, coming off in his in his first game, the Man City match, and then again last night at, at half time, he is Newcastle's future. He'll bounce back and he'll come good. I, I do think he was unfortunate in that booking once you then take into account the rest of the first half and the reluctance of the referee to show yellow to the to the Dortmund players. I mean, I think that's the context. I think Absolutely. that's the context yeah. where the yellow card feels harsh. You could see that he was affected by that, but he'll, he'll bounce back. Yeah, he will. Um, like Chris said, Newcastle started to come back into it in the second half, didn't they? And they, they made early running quite well. They got the ball down. They were playing it wide. Crosses coming in from both sides. And Joe Linton has a chance, Chris. And he flashes that header wide. He kind of glances it, doesn't he? He doesn't really catch it full. But at the time, I couldn't tell just how close it was. It didn't miss by much at all. That goes in. I've got a feel Newcastle going to win that game if that goes in. I think you're probably right. The momentum felt like it was shifting uh, in the press box at Dortmund, actually, weirdly, despite all the wonderful facilities, there weren't replays in most of the ground, but I managed to steal in and nick uh, the seat of one of the German broadcasters. And uh, I was sat, yeah, I know Matthew Raisbeck alerted me to the fact that they weren't there at the start of the match, so I went and, and nicked their seat, and, and I don't think they were particularly happy with it halfway through the first half. So You've done uh, like a reverse, then, the done a reverse beach town. <laughs> If you want to use that yeah, cliche, then yes, I mean, exactly that. Media beach Well done. But anyways, so even then, there weren't that many replays, but the first one that they showed was sort of from, from the, the angle behind Joe Linton. And yeah, it, it, yeah you just think, how he's, is, he's got he's got to score. Those those big moments, you've got to take them. And Newcastle haven't taken them in the Champions They've only scored in one of their four Champions League games. They haven't scored away from home yet. Yes, they scored four against Paris Saint-Germain, but it would have been nice if they'd spread them out actually a little bit over these matches. And I do think that it felt like the momentum was shifting. What, what I find to be a big frustration, I've seen a lot of fans talking about how impressed they were with Dortmund as a team and a lot of fans talking about it. I have to be honest, I don't have quite the same impression. I thought that Dortmund, in terms of 
knowing what to do in the Champions League, managing games well, finding a way to get through, I was impressed with. But I think Newcastle, anything close to full strength, could and should beat Dortmund. I don't think Dortmund are inherently a better team than Newcastle. I think that Newcastle haven't really turned up in the first half of both matches and they've been punished for it and they haven't taken the key moments. But I think if they had had a couple of those other players, Botman, Isak, to give something a little bit different, Tenali, so they're going to maybe change things up in midfield or players might be rested a little bit more. I think this Newcastle team was equipped, this squad, fully full strength or close to full strength, is equipped to have gone further. But I think the main issue is that they're just so depleted and, and so many players are now running on close to empty that that's where I think Dortmund just capitalised and did it very, very well. I think that's fair enough. And just on that Jalinton chance, I would just say very briefly, I mean, he in the last two or three games, I think he's been absolutely superb. Again, clearly back to full fitness, really important, really influential. But that was very much 2019 Big Joe, wasn't it? That was the Big Joe we know and love. It's just unfortunate, but it was a huge moment. And I agree with both of you. I think I think if Newcastle had scored at that point, it could have been very different. And that is, that's the level that we're dealing with. Don't take that chance. Pay for it. There's a parallel between that and the and the chance that Callum Wilson had at St James's Park as well, and he he could have put that in the net, and the game's totally different then as well. And these two games against Dortmund, they totally changed. The table looks totally different, uh, and, and we're sitting here having a completely different conversation. But this these are the big chances; these are the ones you have to put away, and you don't get many of them against against the big boys, and you have to make sure they go in the net. Um, that Joel Linton chance was created from Tino Livramento, who put an absolutely beautiful ball in for him. And he was probably the standout player again, George, wasn't he? He was everywhere, literally. I mean, literally, he played in pretty much every position, didn't he? He did. He played three positions as far as as far as I can remember. Yeah, so started out sort of right attacking, then moved back to, to right back at halftime and then switched with Trippier, who'd gone out to the left. And it, he's just got everything. I mean, I just think he's, yes, okay, I don't think he was a, he was a massive threat in that sort of elevated position at halftime, albeit nobody was. Uh, in the first half, but he's just so composed. He's got he's got everything, and that is the plus point over the past week, ten days when players have been dropping like flies. I think he will play at Bournemouth because I just think he has to. He's making a great case for himself to be in the team on a permanent basis. So I thought he was absolutely fantastic. He just looks he just looks unnatural. He looks like he's been in the team every time he comes in. He looks like he's been in the team for months and months. He does. He's an excellent prospect. Uh, committed bodies forward, didn't we, Chris? The second half, pushing corners, free kicks. Newcastle are looking for a goal uh, and the ball comes forward. And Brandt, who, uh, who pretty much ran the game for, for Dortmund, he had infinite time and space just to slot the ball in the corner and that's it, the game's over. Yeah, Brandt was very, very good. I think he was possibly the difference between the two sides in the end. That, that was very, very frustrating in the second goal because it's Trippier, I think, again, he, whether it's, it's the dead leg that he had, I don't think he had a great night. I don't think Bruno Gimaraes reached the levels that we expect of him either in midfield. And that's probably due to, to an extent to fatigue. It, was, it wasn't a very good ball at all. It seemed a very good chance for Newcastle to have that dead ball far on the left-hand side to be able to cross it in. It doesn't even really go into an area where Newcastle players are, never mind hitting basically the first man in the box. But the the mass frustration, and I think what typified maybe the sort of physical output that this Newcastle side have had to sustain and why they maybe just can't keep going with it was the way that they reacted that. Usually Newcastle would have bodies flying back, but the ball is headed to Adeyemi on the right-hand side of the Dortmund box. 
and he's got it for a good couple of seconds and no Newcastle players really react and get back and eventually Livermento's left with a two-on-one and Brandt is able to then go on the long ball from Adi Amy, take it into the box. Livermento's stood up because he doesn't know who to come and go for and then he, with a wonderful finish past Pope and it's game over. But I think that that fully fit and not running to, to to a degree on empty, I don't think Newcastle would have been left as exposed no. on the break as they were there. And I think that that just shows maybe the situation that they're in there. So my question, my question is is more about this. You know, you know me. I like the emotion. I like the noise. I like the swearing. I like the smells. <laughs> and I know neither of you were actually in the away end. But what was the away end like? What was the atmosphere like on the television? It came across absolutely. Just the whole occasion looked extraordinary. I've seen the odd kind of little bit of grumbling from Newcastle fans about the noise and atmosphere in the away and what was it like to actually to to be to be there in the ground the, at the start of the game I thought it was wonderful from both sides uh, in terms of the the away fans you could really hear and the home fans were trying to drown them out but you could still hear the away fans I think there was quite there was at least one moment I looked across at the start of the second half and a lot of the away fans whether they were still getting drinks or not I'm not sure but it's quite large parts of the away end weren't filled for the for the start of the second half. And yeah, I have seen quite a few grumbles, whether it was the, the layout of the away end. I also think quite a few fans uh, who would try to be in the home end were then moving across to the away end. And so I think there was a there was a bit of... Uh, there was people sort of trying to get into different areas and the like. So I thought that the, the atmosphere, weirdly, second half, and I mean this in the whole ground, whether it was because it was tense atmosphere, I'm not really sure, and whether it was because there was a lot of Newcastle fans in the home end, I didn't quite feel like I expected it to be throughout. Certainly the first half was wonderful, but the second half was maybe a little bit more subdued. But then come the end of the game, even though Newcastle have lost 2-0, the players go across and the away fans, as they always do, gave them an absolutely wonderful reception. And, and Newcastle fan uh, players, staff and coaches made sure that they, they showed the Newcastle fans their appreciation for the travelling. I think there was an awful lot of tired Newcastle fans in that away end yesterday. That's uh, that's one way of putting it anyway. They were very tired, very emotional. It had been a long couple of days. Um, I think there's a lot of people maybe on their first European trips and uh, experiencing this kind of uh, this kind of event for the first time. And, you, you know, you've got to pace yourself. You really do. I mean, it's... It is a marathon, not a sprint, and I, and I think there's a lot of those uh, a lot of those lads and lasses who've who've found this a, a it's been an intense an intense situation to be in. Um, the away end, there was issues with people with standing tickets and people with seating tickets, and those with seating tickets going into the standing end. There was a bit of crushing, uh, from what I heard. I know I don't like to use that word, um, just throw that word about, but that's what I've been taught from a few people that that, that it was a bit dangerous at times. Not in the same way as what people were talking about with Sheffield Wednesday, but it, it, you know, a few people were saying it was a little bit worrying about how many people were getting into that away end. The second half, I was actually down right next to the Newcastle away end, um, and it felt like all of the energy had been sucked out of them by the time I got there. It felt like they knew that it was it was a lost cause. That last ten minutes when Newcastle are pushing for a goal, I expected them to be up and I expected them to be buoyant, singing their team, singing for their team. But it was a little bit quiet and a little bit understated. It was a shame because overall it was a brilliant, it was a brilliant event. But I do think that's very interesting, and you know we're going to come on and talk about the nitty gritty of of Group F. But you know I think we we should have a bit of perspective. Chris has pointed this out to me to, today. This is actually the two year anniversary of Eddie Howe's arrival at Newcastle, and we're still going as a team, as a club, as a fan base. We're going to these occasions which we've not experienced for so long, if ever at all. And we're celebrating them as if they're our last 
great big moment because they've because it's not happened. Yeah. So people, you know, yeah. Chris Chris made the Wembley analogy and it's a very good one. You know, everybody wanted to come across to this game. So there's what ten tens of thousands of Newcastle fans traveling just to be here because it's accessible, it's easy, it's Germany, it's great, beer, sausages, all the rest of it. And so by the time the match comes around, so much energy and has been expended. And I just think it's natural for where... I just think you two are smirking again. I'm going to call you out yet again. I'm smirking at you because you've done all the rest of it again. Oh, man, I'm so sick of doing that. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, <laughs> but it's just it just has to happen. And, you know, the bigger picture is we take a step back. Two years ago, players were going on the pitch at St. James's talking about being lost, talking about having no instruction, talking about not knowing what they were supposed to be doing. And now you've got this incredible, relentless, attack-minded team that represents Newcastle in a way that we'd sort of all forgotten about. And yeah, they're down to their bare, down to the bare bones at the minute. They've run out of bodies, run, like, you know, but it's just incredible. What a week this has been for Newcastle. You know, smashing Man United at Old Trafford, Beating Arsenal in a brilliant, grumpy, aggressive match and then going to Dortmund, yeah, it's not the result we wanted, but my God, to be in these matches, to be in these fixtures, this is this is the time of our lives and we should be hailing it as that. Right, let's move on a little bit. Uh, after the match, our producer tweeted, perhaps slightly rashly, to be honest, that Newcastle had deserved a point on the night and that six points to none wasn't quite a fair reflection on the overall balance of the two games. Uh, several replies to that, many quite reasonably suggesting that we actually got exactly what we deserved uh, from those performances. Uh, some a little bit less reasonable, to be honest. Coxie 23181 of the, uh, the, the fair Coxie 2381 clan. Uh, we deserve note from both games, outclassed by a miles better team, in my opinion. What do you reckon, Chris? Well, I've already sort of given my opinion on this. I think that Dortmund deserved to win, certainly the second game. At St. James's, I thought Newcastle had more than enough chances or certainly openings in the second half to have won the game. And it, it's my... It, I can't prove... Uh, uh, and what hasn't happened, I can't. I can't show something that because Newcastle didn't have a close to full strength team or, or players who were close to full fitness. But I do think that Newcastle are close to full strength or a better team than Borussia Dortmund. Not as experienced at this level, and that's something they have to, will have to build on. And Dortmund were very, very good at managing the game and know how to get through these big occasions. But I, I think they have been slightly unfortunate, as well as the more the biggest frustration, as Eddie Howe said, was that Newcastle haven't shown what they actually are either in these two matches. So where does this leave us, George? Uh, we've beaten PSG, but they'll absolutely mean business when we go over there. Uh, would a point do over there, do you think, now? Or it, it's got to be two wins, hasn't it? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think things felt a little bit different a couple of hours after the final whistle when Milan then beat PSG. I mean, this is an astonishing... This is still an astonishing group. You know, a couple of games ago, Newcastle were top and Dortmund were bottom. Now those positions have been... Have been reversed. Wide open, isn't it? Um, Newcastle are where they were supposed to be at the start of this campaign. That's worth remembering. But no, I think Newcastle have to go out and try and win both games. I mean, I think that's their general attitude anyway. It's still there. It's still to play for. Newcastle have smashed PSG once. They probably will play differently in Paris, but we'll see. No, I, I, I think you. I think you go out. I think you go out and try and win both games and see where it. See see where it takes you. What do you think, Chris? Beat Liverpool in the Europa League final in May? 
<laughs> well, that that may be the, the the journey they're going to have to go on. I do think that it's weird because, perversely, Milan winning put Newcastle bottom of the group, but actually probably gives them a better chance of going through. The unique nature of the Champions League compared to the Premier League is that it's not about goal difference. It's about head-to-head. And basically, if they finish level with Dortmund now, they're going to be behind Dortmund in the table because they're head-to-head. Obviously, they lost twice. But Milan, they drew with away. So if they beat them at home, they would be ahead of them if they're a level on points. PSG, they've already beaten at home. So unless they get absolutely hammered in Paris, if they finish level on points, they can probably have a better head-to-head than PSG as well. Or certainly, that's not so much of a consideration. And there's three points that separates Dortmund who are top. Then it goes PSG on six, Milan on five, Newcastle on four. I do think they need to win both games to go through in the Champions League. But I, I've written about this after the match. So what do Newcastle do now? Because this feels unsustainable in terms of the, all all these fronts. They've been confounding expectations. They've been finding ways to win despite not having players available. But do, yeah. do they decide to focus on the Premier League to make sure they're back in the Champions League next season? Do they go all out and try and get third place and get into the Europa League and then you could maybe if you try and win that then that's another way into the Champions League again next season the Europa League brings with it Thursday Sunday which is a slog and that's difficult but it is also you get extra revenue from those matches and you also get extra revenue from being in that competition nowhere near the same as the Champions League but it is still good for for the overall FFP picture and it means Newcastle still can go into some of these outings and maybe learn more about European football. Mm -hmm. The other alternative is just to do what they almost certainly will because, as George said, Eddie Howe knows one way and that's a target of victory in every single match. And he'll still keep going. How sustainable that is when players are, as as to quote a coach after the game at the weekend, dropping like flies. It's very, very difficult to see how they maintain that because the problem at the moment is it's not short-term injuries. The previous international break, you were like, Newcastle get there, they're on a good run and they're going to have players come back. Beyond Alexander Isak and possibly Sven Botman, Newcastle aren't going to have a lot of players come back after the international break. Dan Byrne has, 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 has broken bones in, in, his, in the lower back. He's going to be out for a matter of two, probably two months, if not longer. Yeah. Matt Target is going to be out for, for around three or four months. Same with Jacob Murphy. These are long-term injuries, yeah. and it looks a heck of a long way between now and the January transfer window. So, as I say, Newcastle will target trying to win every single game, and that may end up in the Europa League. It may end up bottom of the group. It may end up that they sneak through, but I do think they need two wins to, to, to try and qualify now. Absolutely. Uh, right then, uh, we got a really good email from Paul McIntosh. Have a listen to this. This campaign was ringing a few bells, so I decided to check the fixtures from 1997. Our first two fixtures included an away trip in a crumbling stadium of a historically big European name, where somehow we escaped with a draw despite being second best. Then an impossibly glamorous home game against one of the real big guns, where a sensational atmosphere drove us onto a famous victory. Next two games, home and away against a side that were perhaps not one of the very top-tier elite, but possessed enough European experience and clever tactics to nullify us and pick up 1-0 and 2-0 victories. We ended up finishing third in the group back in 1997, and it's starting to feel like it's written in the stars. Deja vu that, George, isn't it? That's mad. Yeah, and of course the the context for that is a group that was also featured Barcelona, PSV and Dynamo Kiev, I was at I was at most of those games. Um, probably not that I've got any recollection of them, um, as per as per as per usual. Yeah, and and <laughs> sounds you, about right. Newcastle did finish third in that group, and Barcelona finished uh, finished bottom as it happens. But 
yeah, it's still all there, still to play for. It's a really tough, it's a really tough ask from this point, but it's a, you know, it's just also a wonderful position to be in. And whoever ends up playing, it's going to be a brilliant experience. They'll fight for their lives whilst there's something there, there to be played for. And so they absolutely should. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a good position to be in. It's not where they'd want it to be at this point after that incredible start, but still there for them. Yeah, we're not dead just yet. Uh, pod on the time at theathletic.com is the email address if you want to get in touch with us. Uh, and subscribe to The Athletic via theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and pay just one ninety nine. That's pounds, dollars or euros, depending on where you are. And that's per month for the first 12 months. We'll be back in just a second to talk about Bournemouth. Right, Chris, uh, Callum Wilson didn't get the Champions League debut we wanted, but he'll be up for this one uh, at his former club. But will his hamstrings be up for it? I think that we have to say he's highly doubtful. Eddie Howe himself would not say that after the game, which itself confirms that he's highly doubtful because yeah. uh, he said he took him off at half-time basically because he, he uh, Wilson said that he had slight tight hamstrings and they can't risk losing him. Although Alexander Isak is back training by himself and hopefully after the international break will be available. They are having to manage all of these players at the moment. We know that Callum Wilson really can't play three games a week. And so I think to see him start on Saturday, certainly at this stage, would be a surprise. Given that he had to take Anthony Gordon out of the starting lineup. it probably is a risk playing Anthony Gordon as well, particularly if he does get into the England squad, which will be announced in the next few days. But options are extremely limited um, we also uh, you also have to remember that Bruno Gimaraes is not available this weekend either he's served a one match suspension for picking up five bookings so Newcastle will probably be without 11 first team players this weekend uh, they will be able to welcome back Matt Ritchie and Emil Kraft into the fold so that's a positive because obviously as George said they're not in the Champions League squad but to be without 11 senior players is a huge huge task going away from home to a Bournemouth side who desperately need a win but it, it it still feels like it's going to be a difficult away day, given Newcastle have led in the last two away matches and drawn them both 2-2. Um, they are a little bit fragile in terms of the latter stages on the road at the moment. Fascinating to hear Chris Woff's expert opinion on travelling to Bournemouth there, a man who fucking avoids the South Coast like the plague. <laughs> plague. He's, he's, he's had six months off. He's done Man U, he's done Arsenal, he's done Borussia Dortmund away. And as I said... Here's George Culkin, senior writer at The Athletic, going to Bournemouth yet a fucking game. How has this happened? How has this worked out? Why Why is he giving his opinion on this? I I don't care, Chris. I don't care about your opinion on Bournemouth. You're not bitter about it, though, George, are you? Not at all. Absolutely. Definitely not. <laughs> oh, man, bless you. No, bless it, you, I mean, Cole. it's, it's going to be fascinating. Obviously, I was... You know, for reasons just just stated, I was at Bournemouth. Uh, I was at Bournemouth last season. That was a very emotional return for for Eddie Howe. It'll be a very different sort of feeling this time. Bournemouth are fighting for their lives. They've only won once in the Premier League this season. They've lost five of the last six in all competitions, and and they were smashed by Man City in their last game six one. But they'll be, you know, they should be targeting this match. At home and against a against a side that is really really depleted and will be knackered. I mean, it's very difficult to avoid that. So, it's a massive test for Newcastle. Newcastle have been really solid after Champions League perform after Champions League games. They've not lost a game after those away after those away games, and that's you know that's been brilliant. But it's, this is going to really really test them and stretch them. 
That's a very good point as well. The quirk of the fixture list yeah. that Newcastle have had after their first four Champions League group stage games, they've had away matches, which tough. again is very, very tough. The last two, it's different. They're at home, but that, that's been very, very difficult for them so far. Yeah, could potentially see more minutes for Lewis Miley as well, couldn't we, Chris? He looked pretty composed on his Champions League debut at 17 years old. 17. What were you doing at 17 years old, Chris? Uh, sitting around in my pants. Nice. <laughs> Very much like you are today. Exactly, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Lovely um, stuff. Yeah, he came on uh, for the last 10 minutes or so, and Eddie Howe was very impressed with him. I thought he did look look good on the ball, look composed Newcastle's youngest ever player in Europe. He obviously started the game mm. against Man City uh, in, in, the, in the Carabao Cup, played the first 45 minutes. Maybe didn't show too much of himself, but he's, he's a very versatile player as well, can play quite a few midfield positions, and given how stretched Newcastle are, given that Bruno Gimaraes isn't available this weekend, I would imagine you'll probably see Lewis Miley come on again at, at Bournemouth to give something to Newcastle a bit different. He is, you don't want to expect too much too soon from him, but the experience he is gaining from this, the fact that Eddie Howe has enough confidence to be able to put him in, albeit, I know he's got restricted options, but he still has the confidence to be able to, to bring him in the fold. He probably would have played a little bit more over the last few weeks, but for Glanjula Fever yeah. as well. Uh, and a very exciting prospect. And just, yeah, just looks like a very, very uh, level-headed, but very, very exciting footballer. 17, man. 17. I've got T-shirts in the house that are older than that. <laughs> I mean, they don't fit me, but I've still got them. Do you know what I mean? My God. We should be able to pop the cherries, though, George, shouldn't we? Uh, with what we've got. Five days, nice little gap. It's definitely needed, so a chance to sort of get everybody together and see see what's what. I don't know. I think it's going to be a very tough test, and I, I, I don't think people should be heading there expecting Newcastle to win just because Bournemouth is struggling. I think this becomes a, a really big ask. But, um, you know, the thing that we know about the team and the thing we know about the squad is that they're more than capable of rising to anything put in front of them. So, yeah, we'll have to see. Absolutely right. Just one more thing before we finish off then. Uh, with all the Arsenal nonsense last week, we forgot to mention the last Estella 5-0 win over Stourbridge. Record attendance at Kingston Park as well and plenty more watched online. Four points now behind the leaders. Burnley uh, with two games in hand. So there's a real sense of momentum there, George, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, we didn't neglect to mention it. We recorded it before they played. So I think that's fair enough. We would have mentioned it if they played. But um, yeah, brilliant and great to see that attendance at Kingston Park, I was yeah, I was in London, so I didn't go. Otherwise, I would have been. But um, just uh, yeah, they're just churning out these results, aren't they? It's just brilliant. It is, and the FA Cup uh, is next up for them. They've got a trip to Mancunian Unity, uh, where our lasses will be hot favourites. They've also got a very good chance in the FA WNL Cup quarterfinals after they were drawn against AFC File, the bottom place team in their division. Right then, I think that's just about it, Chris. Anything to add? Just want to reiterate what we've already said about. I don't think everyone should be too downheartened by this. It felt deflated. It was weird because in the immediate aftermath of the match, it felt very, very, very deflating. It felt like Newcastle were going out because the expectation, I think, at that stage was that PSG would probably get a point, if not win in Milan. They didn't. And suddenly, although the situation is very, very difficult and there's absolutely no room for error now in terms of Newcastle wanting to qualify out of this group and progress in the Champions League... They are still alive in it. They were the fourth seeds. It is the cliche group of death. It's turned out to be that way. Everyone has taken points off each other. And for a, a Newcastle side as depleted as it is to have had the week that it's had, you've got to remember at the start of the that over the course of the last 10 days, the matches Newcastle have been through. They went to Wolves, had a very difficult outing, 
got a 2-2 draw, which felt like two points dropped in, in yeah. some ways, but w- w- was still a valuable point on the road. They go to Man United, historic win, only second time since 1972, win 3-0, get into the Carabao Cup quarterfinal, which thankfully isn't till just before Christmas, so maybe they might have some players back by then. Yeah. And then they beat Arsenal, genuine Premier League title contender, at St. James's Park, and then they've got to go to Borussia Dortmund a few days later. They weren't able to, to carry the momentum into the Dortmund match, but uh, with the international break coming up, hopefully they can re- regroup a little bit and there is still a lot to look to be positive about, even if the injury situation is grave. I'm going to just crush what Chris has said down into, into a little sentence. Two years ago, every single Newcastle win was a surprise. Two years on from that, every single Newcastle defeat is a surprise. Yeah. What a team, what a club, what a manager, what a group of players. It's so exciting to be in this position. They're absolutely running on empty. They deserve all of our support. But, you know, impossibly yeah. proud of them. And bring on Bournemouth. Absolutely. Uh, we've got just one show next week because we're going into an international break. The pesky, bloody international break, Chris. I mean, what is it, national football? Ugh, it's rubbish, isn't it? Uh, but we'll be with you Monday or Tuesday. Um, I just want to say as well, it's been a, it's been an amazing couple of days, um, and I want to say thank you to anybody who's came over and said hello to me and Chris when we were in that market square in Dortmund and 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 said they enjoyed listening to the podcast. There was there was just loads of people, wasn't there, Chris? I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet here, uh, but there was a lot of people came over and spoke to us in Dortmund about the podcast and said how much they enjoyed it, uh, and it's lovely to hear that. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, just to j- jump on the back of that, I genuinely was astounded on Monday that on the plane on the way across at the airport, then going around Dortmund, being in a bar later on, and as you say, yesterday in the Market Square, the number of people who just come and said, either thank you for us doing the podcast or would would use one of the jokes now, I'd, I'd someone shouting across the bar, oh, it's waffles, it's waffles, I've got to buy waffles a drink and all this. Sort of, it's just, I, I, it's still, it still it takes my breath away to a certain extent that people really do. We love doing this we it's been a privilege to be here and to cover this situation for Newcastle even if the result wasn't how it was and and that feeling that everyone is part of something at the minute moving in in the same sort of direction that people are enjoying what we do yes it 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 really is great to hear all this and we never take any of them for granted when you tell us how much you enjoy it so thank you to everyone absolutely right thanks very much George for your time See you later. See you later, and see you later. Me and Chris are going to do like a trains, planes, and automobiles-style race to Amsterdam Schiphol Airport now, aren't we? So uh, on your marks, get set, fuck off. I mean, I will be making a stop off to get at least one more sausage before I leave Germany. Of course, with you this, but yeah. of course you are. Uh, that's it. From me and Chris in, uh, in Germany, and from George as well, back in Blighty, that's pot on the time for this week. We'll speak to you very soon. Take care. Goodbye. Athletic.